You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journey of their lives, the ups, the downs, the doubts, the fears, how they get through it all to get to where they are today. Um, Because I believe that our feelings of success, of worthiness, of enoughness, of fulfillment are not out there somewhere. Once I get this, do this, be this, then I will feel good about myself. Then I will feel enough, loved, successful. That's not how it works. We have to claim it every single day. On today's episode, I have Miranda Anderson. She is at Live Free Miranda. I have loved following her for a while. She was a blogger from back in the day and has really, you know, made a living sort of doing life and sharing about it in all sorts of different ways and projects. She's an author, speaker, podcast host, creative coach. Last year, she released a book called More Than Enough, How One Family Cultivated a More Abundant Life Through a Year of Practical Minimalism. And she shares what happened when her family of five stopped shopping for 12 months. So lots of cool stuff comes up in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. All right. So I'm going to start with, so it appears to me that you have been in what we would now call the content creation world <laughs> a very long time before content creation was probably any sort of <laughs> Before word. that was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. So what did you start? Did you start blogging? Was that also how old are your kids? Okay. So my kids right now are 10, 8, and 6. Okay. So did you start blogging before you had kids? Yeah. Yeah. So I, my husband actually started a blog spot when in 2007, we got married in 2006 and in 2007, we moved to Puerto Rico and we were, um, we were spending the summer, like, uh, four months there working as interns for a company and, uh, managing a sale, like managing a retail store. Oh, and this was back before, I mean, 2007. So this is no Facebook, no Instagram, like email, basically. And, um, and Blogspot was just sort of coming around. And Dave heard about it and thought it'd be a fun way for us to keep up with all of our friends and family at the same time rather than sending an email. Right. And so he started this Dave and Miranda at Blogspot. And we did our first you know, couple months of blog posts from Puerto Rico as like, a, hey, this is what we're doing, you know, and, and kind of keeping in touch. And then when we got back, uh, I really liked, I mean, I've always been a journaler and I've been a creative person and done projects. And so it was really fun to just have this place to share all of that. That wasn't just directly in person with like my immediate friends and family. Yeah. And then it just became my pattern. It became like a, a, a hobby and a habit and just something that I did that I, that I have always done, like since I got married. So, wow. So, uh, so when you guys came back from the travels, did you then like just keep up that one or did you start a new one? And what were you like, what do you just were like, oh, this is fun to share. So did you not even, did you, would you start sharing like anything at first? Were totally. they like diary entries or like, oh, I made this or. Yeah, it was more. Yeah, exactly like that. It was kind of like, um, just things that I wanted to share. So at, at first it was a lot of like, this is what we're up to. Um, I, 
I was still in school. David graduated, but we had friends all over the country who were, you know, working or going to school and family um, all over. My sister at the time lived in Philadelphia and um, just like it was just a way to keep up, you know, and just kind of a fun new like as much as we love social media now, it was like the beginning of that when you could talk to lots of people at once and like feel connected in a way that we weren't able to feel connected before. So it was really fun. And, uh, because of my, like just for forever for my whole life, I've been a journaler. And so it was really easy to transfer that, like, instead of writing down, I mean, it wasn't, my blog has never been like my innermost thoughts and hopes and dreams. It was more like, here's what's going on. These are the fun things happening. And then I started to notice. So, uh, there was a time like for many years where everyone had like a blog role. If you were old enough to have at this time, I started a blog. I was trying to think it maybe 2009. And it was like, I don't know. It was on some blogger. Yeah. It was, you know, I think it was Blogspot. Blogspot, right? I think that was the one. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And for me, it was like a journal like thing, but it was like my, it was called I am being, I think, or no. And so every was like, I am being this, I am being content or whatever. And I'd sort of like go over something that happened that day. Like, oh, this showed up today and this is how I saw it. So even back then I was like, I was sharing like my mindset shifts before I knew what even mindset was or whatever. But I was sharing like, this is how I'm making it through my life and making it be like this, or I'm choosing this. I am being this. And that's what my name when I started Instagram was being Trisha. Uh My Twitter as well. Yeah. Cause I went to Twitter first, but yeah, I, I, I loved it. And it was like a fun new thing thing so and there was fun. like no pressure no no, no pressure no, whatever like this is fun let's share totally. I don't care there's one person reddit that I don't know like <laughs> yeah it was it was a really organic experience like for as overused as that word is it's like when you just are able to like do it and then it feels good and so you do it a little more and you share a little deeper and you you know I started to like follow other um, yep. bloggers and notice that people weren't only sharing like the ins and outs of their family life but also uh, things they projects they were working on and a lot of DIYs and how to's and that was something that really resonated with me because I have a background as a maker like I grew up the daughter of a construction my dad owns a construction company so we would, were always making things and I was always I learned how to sew when I was eight years old I've always been sewing things I was always like kind of digging in the craft room and I was like oh well this is something I can do and share and so I started sharing those types of projects as well not only the like I, you know, we're, we're, we went on this fun weekend vacation, but also like I found these really cool napkins at anthropology on sale and look how I easily turned them into throw pillows for my couch. And like, here's the five steps of how to do that. And, um, and I think it's funny looking back now because I don't think that I've identified as being someone who was a teacher until much later in my life. But I recognize now that like the, um, one of the common threads of my life has been that I love to teach and instruct and share. Um, and so that goes back so long. I mean, just like for no reason, because again, there were no ads there were no sponsorship, but there was nothing happening except for me saying, here's something I learned how to do. Let me teach you how to do it too. And, uh, and I really found a lot of satisfaction in doing that. So I did that for a long time. And at that time, did you have a full-time job too? Yeah. Well, I had a part-time job when I was going to school and then I graduated from school as a nurse. I'm an RN diabetes educator. And so I worked, um, we moved across the country for Dave to start going to law school. I started working full-time as a nurse, as a diabetes educator and was still blogging on the side, uh, and did that for many years. Um, and then there was kind of a slow transition period where I, like I had my first baby when I was working full-time 
and took some maternity leave. And then I went back part-time instead of full-time so that I could be home with him and was still, again, throughout this whole time, I'm blogging like three to five days a week for free, for nothing, just for fun. Not for nothing, for personal enjoyment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then after my second uh, son was born, I was uh, working just like, I don't know, like a day or two a week and um, kind of more per diem like on call. And then when my third baby was born, I had switched companies and I was working as a home health nurse. So I was going and doing um, visits in people's homes, teaching. And so I could make my own schedule. But as that got busier, it was hard for me to, it was really good money. It was really fun because I loved teaching and I loved, you know, I loved what I was doing, but I had a hard time balancing my schedule and saying no. So I just said yes to all of these projects. And I was ending up working more than full time, even though I had, you know, these two toddlers and and my six month old. And I finally realized that like I, my life felt out of balance and I wanted to like rein it back in and figure out what I wanted to do. So I quit my nursing job at this time. My husband had graduated from law school. He was working full time as an attorney. So I had the space uh, to say, and I actually quit blogging for a year too. I just said, I I can't do, oh, wow. I'm going to stop all of this for a while and figure out what I actually want to be doing. I, I um, remember at the time talking to a friend who was um, an artist. She wanted to be like a true artist. She was a painter. She was also teaching guitar lessons on the side. And we both had these blogs and she felt like she was becoming a blogger when what she wanted to do was become an artist. And she said, I have to try to figure out how to put myself back in the front of the boat. She said, I feel like I'm a a water skier behind Mm -hmm. a boat and like the blogs pulling me and I'm just going wherever it leads. And she said, I need to figure out how to stop for long enough to put myself in the driver's seat again. And it just, I was like, yes, I need to do that same thing because it's really easy to just follow whatever the next thing is rather than giving yourself the space to, to decide if you want to make a change or if you're still on the path that you want to be on, even though it's the one you've been on for a long time, maybe it's not right anymore. And that was a really powerful year for me because I, when I came back to, I mean, I came to some decisions and my whole, the trajectory of my career really changed. Yeah. I love um, that you brought up the, the driver's seat thing. Cause that's, I always, I always share about not using the word should, and I gave it up over 10 years ago. And that I found that the word that you, replaces it most of the time is want and it makes you more intentional but when i'm pretty much when i'm always sharing this like the difference between should and want that i say that like you're putting yourself in the driver's seat of your life when you are choosing the wants and not the shoulds and sometimes it might even be that it feels initially like a should but then you realize okay yeah i do want to do that because that's you know like i want to clean my house up or i want to do this i want to send that email I want to finish this task because of how I'm going to make I feel. So, okay, that is a want, but it's like the shoulds feel like so heavy and just like, yeah, like, you know, yeah, you're being pulled along. Like, okay, that we're basically outsourcing all of our life choices by using should. And so many of us do it unconsciously. So like making that conscious choice of what do I want? So it sounds like you like went through that transition, but without the like, totally well, pointing the words that I had. It's so funny that it's just really powerful. We forget. I think we forget like even having gone through lots of mindset changes and like pivotal experiences like this in my life, like on a very regular basis, I have to remind myself that I still get to choose. Like I can make a choice and then I can make a different choice and then I can make a different choice or I can make a choice. And I still might just because I want to do something doesn't mean I'm going to really feel like doing it all the time. Yeah. You know, like I might really want to do it and still it will be hard and I'm going to have to like pump myself up and I might have to prepare myself and I might have to 
you know, still take breaks and recognize that like, just because you want it doesn't mean that you're on fire for it every second, you know? Yeah. And, um, that's okay. Like that's, that's what work is and dedication and commitment and consistency and why we have to have all of these other, you know, I like to put systems in place to support my wants so that it makes it a little bit easier because my default then leads me to like, leads me toward my success rather than my default always being self-sabotage. Yeah. 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 And that's too, because I'm, sometimes people will be like, well, you can't just do what you want all the time. Like how we like whatever, but I'm like, what is, but it's a consciously choosing like, well, why do I want that? So a lot of times, like I said, it might be shifting a should into a want or like that, but it helps me to like get out of procrastination and to, like you said, like pull myself up because it is something I want to do. I'm just like, oh, it seems too hard. Or I'd rather just lay in bed today or go play with the player with my kids or something like that. And like seeing what is that the, the next step, the further Mm -hmm. step. Yeah. So, okay. So what did you decide in that year off? I'm guessing. Yeah. So I came back, I I decided that for, for then what was, what I was really loving was spending time with my kids and being home with them and working with the creative opportunities that I had through my blog. And by this time, this is 2013, 2014 blogging had become more than online journaling blogging. At that point, I was seeing people who were making full-time livings from blogging this, it had shifted into what we now call content creation and the sponsorships were like real. And not only that, but it, um, something that was really integral for me at that point was that I didn't have a lot of one-on-one relationships with big companies necessarily, but there were lots of third-party media agencies available to facilitate those relationships. And so I decided I was going to start blogging as my job and not go back to nursing, even though my my nursing license is current. I maintain it, but I um, decided that I wanted to have the flexibility of the creative work of blogging and then spend um, time with my kids. And so, I mean, not like you can't spend time with your kids when you have a full-time job outside of the house either, but it was kind of a fun place to say, I mean, I had this tiny baby and I'm like, I'm just going to be home. I'm going to work during nap time after they go to, you know, my boys are in preschool. Felt like a good fit. So I immediately joined a bunch of like probably 10 different third-party media agencies so that I could start applying for for sponsorship. So you didn't know before you left, you weren't making any money blogging. No, you never. just now saw, okay, all these bloggers are doing this now. I'm going to try that because I do yeah. love blogging. Maybe I can actually bring in income doing it. Exactly. I mean, I knew that I could because other people were. So yeah. I was like, okay, people are making money doing this. I I am blogging. Like whether I mean, I had taken a break from it, but I was like blogging was like breathing. I had been doing it for so long and even like with having throughout having my kids, like I had blogged about being pregnant and blogged about their birth stories and blogged about feeding a toddler and making your own baby food. I mean, it was like it was so second nature. It was easier to feel like, well, I'm going to do the thing that I'm doing anyway. I'm just going to make money from it now, which was like, uh, it, I mean, that's an important mindset shift because I had up to that point felt like this is a hobby. And then I, I had to make the shift where I took myself seriously enough to say, I'm going to actually try. And that's scary too, because sometimes you try and you fail. And that was something that I was opening myself up to. Like, maybe I'm not going to, you know, and I wasn't going to have a steady regular paycheck from, you know, a, a hospital agency or something like that. But, um, but it was really fun to, I had built a community through blogging so consistently for so long. So I was, I was at a good point because it wasn't like I had just started a blog in order to make money. Like I had, I had enough page views, enough regular visitors to my blog that I could easily, I, I got into every single agency that I applied for and started getting sponsorships like right away that first month. Amazing. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I, w- I was like, everything was primed and ready for it, even though I hadn't yeah. intentionally been preparing for that. Right. Cause you had all this backlog of like content and stuff that they're like it's not like you had to start over and prove that you could write about all these things like oh look I've written about everything right well (laughs) totally and like people already coming to the blog and visiting and you know page views right so um yeah so that first year I um I made like a you know what I would call now a part-time salary from my blog which was what I would have been doing anyway um nursing you know per diem one day a week or whatever and then uh and then my blog just continued to grow like my revenue. Actually, you know, it's interesting. Um, my blog didn't necessarily grow in terms of like page views and community, but my, my, uh, I think my skills got better as like a, uh, as a content creator. I mean, like sharing a message in an, in an interesting way, learning how to tie a story into a product or incorporate a product into a story and also take better pictures. Like those skills that are required for becoming a professional blogger. I I gained some skills as I started working with companies and also started facilitating these relationships. I went to a bunch of conferences and I really invested in it. And so even though my blog traffic and community stayed fairly steady, it didn't like grow, 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 grow. My revenue doubled year over year as I was able to show that what the work I was doing was worth more and like add value to the work that I was doing. And so that, that really was kind of the story until, until last year when I decided to stop doing sponsorships. Oh, you did. (laughs) Yeah. At the beginning and throughout that time, did you struggle at all with like, how can I make this sponsorship seem like natural or like, you know, like how am I going? Cause I, 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 for a minute was like, Oh, maybe I'll try. Cause I had a history of blogging and then I became a mom. So, Oh, all right. I could do like mom blogging, whatever. And I can pitch myself. And I right away was like, yeah, that's not for me. <laughs> like, it's so much work. It's so much work. It's, it's so I love much blogging work. and writing, but mm-hmm. to take something, even if it's a product you love and how can I tell a story that this sounds natural, but also wanting people to be interested in that the company is like happy with like paying me and all that stuff. Totally. Yeah. That is the magic formula. And I actually, my friend, my really good blogging friend, Jansen Bradshaw from Everyday Reading, she she and I have done a presentation, a keynote presentation for the last several years at different blogging conferences around the country. I think we've done it six or seven times. And it's the the title is win, win, win partnerships. And this is what it is. It's how do you make these sponsorships a win for you where you're being compensated in a way that you're excited and enthusiastic to create whatever it is? It has to be a win for the company, of course, because they're the one paying you and providing you with the product. But it also has to be a win for the readers. And that's the one that I think bloggers mess up a lot. They get to the point where they're like, I'm making money. The company's making money. You know, we're all. Yeah. But if the readers feel like they're being either lied to or that you're, you know, talking about this, your very favorite shampoo this week, and then like, a month later, it's yeah. like my very favorite shampoo and it's like a different one and they're a little confused. And not that I think that everyone has to have a favorite shampoo, but I just, it's really easy to say, well, this is my, the, the best thing ever when you're being paid by the company. And then, uh, and then it's not necessarily your favorite thing ever. And it, like, it, you can like something and not half, you know, I don't know. So yeah. I think that it's a, it's a tricky, it is, it's a tricky place, but I also find that that's a really creative place to be. Yeah. Like, when I would take sponsorships, first of all, I never said yes to every sponsorship. I always like evaluated, is this something that I actually will use in my life? Not only would I use it, but would I pay my own money for it? Even if for the sponsorship, I'm not being required to like, would I go spend $300 on this vacuum? Like if I wouldn't, that didn't feel like something that I wanted to share about. 
Um, because how can I ask my audience to spend money on something that I wouldn't be willing to like that just didn't feel like a good fit for me. So th- I like I had these kind of uh, this fil- these filters through which I would decide on doing a, a, a sponsorship. But then I always had to think, OK, this was the fun part. How do I talk about this in a way that my audience, whether or not they buy the product or they ever use this service, that they get something out of the post itself? So I, I, yeah. I, it can't just be a review of what it is. So um, I would always try to come up with that third, that third win and make it where I was giving some tips or I was giving a pattern away for free or I was giving a recipe or I was giving something where, you know, I'm including and incorporating the sponsor in a, in a fun way. But I also like they're understand getting something, the reader's getting something from your post, whether they buy rather, the product. Exactly. Or not. Exactly. Yep. So that was always my goal. Um, and these guidelines that you gave to yourself and like these goals, was that something that you like when you came back and you were like started to get sponsorship that you already went into it with that idea or these things I'm guessing were you had to maybe develop and tweak as you yeah. started? Cause yeah, it had to be like, I'm gonna make money. Oh my God, I'm making money. Like, and I yeah. influencers too. that like, yay. Okay. I'll say yes to everything. And then it's like yeah. overwhelmed. They're so excited to have all these products and be making money, but then it's like, wait, this is too much and like totally. the stress of it. And so then yeah. I, I find that most people like say yes to everything and then have to end up figuring out their way through it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, from the get go, I, I said yes to more things up front. I didn't ever say yes to everything because there were some really obvious like, I mean, I just know myself really well and my audience, there was no lying to the people who had followed me since before I had even had one baby, you right. know? So like, and people actually called me out. Like, I mean people still do, to be honest, about things that they think don't fit the lifestyle that they have created in their head for who I am. You know, it is funny. That's part of being online that you're like, well, you you don't actually know me that well. Like you can't unless you're my sister or my husband, you know, Um, and that's that's just part of the 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 world that we live in, I guess. But uh, I so I started out with kind of one set of filter and guidelines and then definitely narrowed it and narrowed it and narrowed it. And then what I've experienced over the last couple of years is that like those, those guidelines have gotten so narrow as to what I want to do that it's like may or there may or may not be a sponsor that will fit. I mean, actually I can think of a handful that I would love to, that I would potentially love to work with in the, in this year or the next couple of years. But like for the most part, I still am signed up for a bunch of these agencies and I get emails for them all the time about like, we think you'd be a good fit for this. And, and, um, Like I haven't seen one in a long time that I felt like, oh, yes, this is absolutely something that I want to do. And some of my favorite sponsorships were actually ones that I would go out and pitch because I could think, what is a company that I love that I'm already using that it's like part of my lifestyle that my audience already knows that I love and use? That's the one that I think is the best fit that I go out and say, hey, look, like we already have whether you know it or not, we already have a relationship and we've developed it. And so and like, you know, I've been fostering it on my blog for years. so you know, let's make it like formalize it. And, um, those have been some of my most successful partnerships for sure. And how did you like, was that easy or challenging for you to then start to like reach out to companies and be like, Hey, me, you know, like Um, you could pay me. Cause you're also then like saying probably either you made, if they're companies you already know, then you might have the products. You're not saying send me a product, but like pay me. But since I'm getting, you mean, you know, you have this content so you can show them like, this is what I'm capable of doing, but still like how are there ways that you get out of your own way or get into your way that you then have to get out before you send the emails? Well, I don't, I don't know. For whatever reason, I've always been a little bit bold and a little bit of like a, the worst that can happen is that they'll say no or that they won't respond, you know? And so, but that can stop 
a lot of people. <laughs> I, well, I think that it's helpful. It's a couple of things set me up for success. One was that as soon as I started trying that I was getting some sponsorships, like through these agencies, I was, you know, I was getting yeses right away um, through these right. third party agencies. So I was like, okay. I mean, they were yeses for like a $200 blog post, which is like a fraction of what I would charge now for a blog post. But it yeah. was something that had, like I had been doing those same posts for $0. So yeah. getting two or $300 felt like a big jump. Uh, and then I think it was also helpful that I felt like what I was getting, like I believe in, uh, in social media marketing, like I've been online and I've seen the way that the landscape has changed over the years. I know that my buying habits, like I'm much more likely to buy something when I see it on Instagram or through I a know. blog post. It's crazy. So, but yeah, I'm like, I definitely get influenced. Right. Totally. <laughs> I think we all do. And so it was easy. It was easier maybe because I had that mindset and I was like, I mean, Th this is working. Like people yeah. are buying things that they, people are asking me, what type of stain do you use on your shelves? You know, or like whatever, you know, like people yeah. are asking me for this information. So let's work together and I'll tell them you because you're who I'm using. And then you can pay me for that. And not only the, the actual, like talking about the product, but also, I mean, companies need content as well. They need stories. They need images. They need things to share on their social media. And so I think I was able, I've just been able to see how like, it really is a win-win. Like they, yeah. they receive things that they actively are looking for on their end. And I get paid to help them produce those things. So you're not, when you're pitching to them, it's not like, Hey, pay me, look at me. It's like, look at let what me I can do for exactly. you. Like, yes. let me... <laughs> Very much generously like, yes, help you by creating this amazing content for you. Well, I mean, and that really is the the way yeah. that you have to go about this. And if you don't believe that you're doing something that's valuable, then you probably shouldn't be pitching. Like, I mean, figure that out first. Like yeah. if you really don't believe that what you're going to create is going to benefit them, then they shouldn't pay you. Yeah. So I think being able to say like, hey, and you know, it's, I don't always get a yes. Sometimes I pitch someone and they, you know, it's not what they're looking for. And that's great. That's fine too. Um, but you don't really know until you start doing that work and kind of exploring that space. Um, so I think that it definitely is helpful too to have some warm, like a little bit of a relationship first. And that's where conferences have become really key for me that I started going to blogging conferences actively, uh, for, I mean, for the last three or four years, I've gone to about three a year oh, wow. and, um, and, and you, actually you know, that's have an to, investment. Um talk to people when yeah, you're there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you go, you right. talk to people, to make the connections, make the connections. Um, and is that something that are you, um, is that, have you been easy? Are you always someone that's like easy to talk to? Cause I, I love talking to people and I'm good, but I can still even get social like anxiety and nervous that thing, you know, like, so for, I will just tell myself like, just talk to any like just force myself oh you're waiting in line talk to somebody I like will yeah. loosen myself up like go to the people to, at the booth that are like handing out samples oh I like it like to get me chatty and then I just start talking to everybody but I'm like I'm someone that loves to talk to people is has no problem talking to strangers but I can get social anxiety at stuff like that too yeah so what's, no, I, what's I, your I, method I, are you <laughs> yeah I've always been a I've always been outgoing and you know an extrovert and so I don't totally have to. I mean, it's like kind of my default to chat with everyone around me, like maybe to a fault that yeah. they're like, who are you? Like, are you, why like, are you talking like to me? Yeah. So I, I mean, it's, it's fairly like, easy. Why are, yeah. why are we having a conversation? I don't know. Yeah. So I, I mean, I tend to like just 
to to be able to go meet people. The one thing that has always been helpful for me at conferences is really having a goal. Uh, not only like, I mean, I would make a specific like I want to meet someone from the Home Depot, for example. Like I know okay. they're going to be here. I mean, this conferences will publish who the sponsors are ahead of time. And sometimes that helps clinch the like, I definitely want to go to that one because the sponsors that I want to work with are going to be there. And then there's recognizes there's there's going to be hundreds to thousands of other people who also are trying to connect with them. So how do I then not only like give them a business card and say, hey, I'd love to work with you, but like find out about them. I think it's really important to remember that the people, the people are always people. So you think that like working with Home Depot or with um, Sherwin Williams, or I'm trying to think of some of my other big sponsorships that, that those are like big companies and they are, but the person who's managing the social media partnerships is just a person, usually like a late 20 year old girl yeah. who's like, she's got, has stuff going on in her life too. And this is her job. And so being able to not connect with the brand, but with the people has been really helpful. And, um, and I've so had some, Okay. Yeah. So when you're like going to, okay, I want to meet somebody from Home Depot. They're going to be there. You're not like, let me get my spiel ready. You're like, just like, let me connect as a human. Totally. Hi, yeah. I'm Miranda. How are you? And like, you're talking to them person to person and not like, let me pitch you totally my ideas and tell you all about my brain yeah, or whatever. Yeah, especially not at a conference where there's a thousand other people there, you know? Like, yeah. I want to leave the conference with a connection to a person because then... After the conference, not only do I have this connection with like another potentially fun person to like know and relate to, but also that um, it's easier to say, hey, what are you guys looking for? Or what do you need? Not from a place of like, okay, I've got all my points ready. Let me like give Mm -hmm. them to you. Here's my poster. You know, it's more like, okay, so like what's going on at work for you? Like what, what could I, where's a spot that I could help you with? Like, here's some projects I'm working on. Does that align with any of the projects you're working on? And just like, it becomes a little bit more natural. Um, Home Depot is a good example for me because I, I, I talk about like courting them. Like I, I grew up in Home Depot. My dad, like I said, owns a construction company. I like the smell of Home Depot is like the smell of my childhood. I, I love it. And I, uh, I, when I started to do remodels and renovations in my, in my houses and share those on the blog, I was like, Home Depot is such a good fit for me. But I hadn't connected with them. They again are this huge corporation. I didn't know like where to go. And then they were at a conference. So I met the girls who were kind of managing it. And I started to, um, you know, send some emails and like share projects I was working on and, Oh, that one's not a good fit. Or we're not, you know, we're not really highlighting those products right now. And like back and forth for kind of a long time, I probably talked to them about five or six different projects before I sent an email. It was like in early September a couple of years ago and said, Hey, these are the a couple of things. I just bought this house or like it must've been October. Cause we had just seen this house, this house that I'm in now. Uh, it was a total fixer upper. And I was like, we're going to have so many different projects, but here's a couple of the first ones I'm starting on. Maybe those would be good for your spring. I already knew that they did a campaign in the spring for like a patio style challenge. I was like, yeah, so it helps to also know what their agenda is. Right. So yeah. in October I'm saying, Hey, maybe in March or April, this would be a good fit. Cause I'll, we, I will have moved in. We're planning on doing this whole thing. And they were like, Oh yeah, we're finalizing that list this weekend. Like we'll put you on it. Amazing. And so I think just like maybe like having a real relationship with the people is helpful. And it also is helpful to understand like what their needs, wants and and timeline is so that you can find a place that you fit and that you're actually filling a hole for them rather than just like, I need a new refrigerator. 
Do you yeah, want to send me but one? Also, like <laughs> you could have given up if you you'd reached out like six prior times. You could have been like, okay, they just don't want to work with me. Yeah. When you yeah, just I think- kept. <laughs> yeah, <hello. laughs> reaching back out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it ended up being a really good, really good relationship. Let's talk about the house. So, yeah, the house you're in now. You guys moved from like not across the country, but somewhat across the country. Totally right? across or, yeah. the country. Yeah, we moved from Austin, Texas, where we had lived for four years, to Richmond, Virginia, which is where we live now. And you, yeah, you bought a total fixer upper. Yeah, and you greatly downsized. Too, yeah. Right? Yeah. So when we left Texas, we were living, we had built, we built our home in Texas. We actually moved to Texas from Virginia. We lived in, oh, okay. <laughs> we moved in, Alex- we lived in Alexandria, Virginia for law school and the first couple of years out of law school. And then we, we moved to Texas to Austin and that was like where we were going to live. Like we decided it was Texas, did your husband have a job there or just you guys were like, we, no, Texas is our dream. We decided we wanted to live in Austin and then he found a job there okay. before we moved. Like he kept his job in, in yeah. Alexandria. We, we decided Texas got a job there, moved there, lived in an apartment while we built a home that we were planning on like being our house, like for long term. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful, big home, big lot. I mean, not that big. It was like 2,500 square feet, but we had been living in a 900 square foot apartment for yeah, our whole life. So this size. like felt like a palace to us. Yeah. <laughs> and we had a half acre. It was like, you know, this, just this really fun, big, and there were a hundred acres behind us of open trail. And it was just like really fun. And then we, uh, I mean, all, we had lots of fun experiences there, but uh, in 2017, we decided to do a year without buying any unnecessary Cons- uh, non-consumable items. So we spent that year not shopping. A year of not buying non-consumable items. So that means like you buy food and like food toothpaste. And, or like- yeah, yep, exactly. Food, gas, toothpaste, um, things so, that like get used up to completion. That's it. And so, and that's like clothes and shoes for the kids too. Yeah, no clothes or shoes for the kids. And does that mean you're allowed to make them clothes, but then you totally. can't buy material or can No, nope, but I could use the material that I already had. Okay. Um, so it kind of came. What about the ca- shoes? Yeah. Kids. So shoes, we did a one for one replacement. Like okay. if they grew out of tennis shoes, then we'd replace them and don't okay. donate the old ones. Or okay. if so they like were like no toys, no toys, no like technology no stuff for you. No, no decor, nothing from Target. Just and like what inspired that? So, I mean, it was kind of the confluence of feeling like I had. I, I all of a sudden had a lot of space and then we filled up the space and then it was really fun. But I also was like, Whoa, I've got, now I have way more stuff than I need. And then I had all these kids and I felt like my life was kind of going crazy and I needed to simplify. So I, I had already like started using an edited wardrobe, like gotten rid of more than half of my clothes. I was using this very small capsule wardrobe um, and realized that that same principle could apply across the board. Um, I read Essentialism by Greg McCown, which is one of my favorite books, and Chasing Slow by Aaron Lochner. And those, like, within a couple of months, I was like, oh my gosh, like the universe is telling me that my life has more than I need. And, um, well, more than that, it was that I have plenty, like, I have enough. And so rather than the continual pursuit of more, I think we're gonna press pause on that. And just live with what we have, enjoy the things that we already have, like recognize the abundance that exists in our life right now. Um, add to that the minimalist documentary that came out around that time. And we um, so we just it was like this weird one of those weird moments of like, I think we should do this. And my husband was like, yeah, that sounds great. And I was like, OK, let's do it. And so we just decided and we didn't like go stock up. We just decided we're not going to buy anything. It was our more than enough stuff experiment. 
we already have everything we need. We're not going to buy any more this year. And and we just kind of started. Um, and that, and that was, was there any pushback from kids? How old were your kids? My kids at the time were three, five and seven. And they were a little confused, but they weren't like they were like, OK, I mean, yeah. just like my, nope, we're not buying. Anything. Yeah. My middle was like, what if we want toys? And I was like, well, what could we do if you want toys? And he said, well, I guess like you have stuff in your craft room. We could like make them with clay or, you know, paint sticks. And I was like, yeah, we totally. And those are things that like what a great way to use our imagination and like be more creative too. So, so did you sort of make it be like, uh, this is a fun adventure we're doing. Not totally. like, we are not buying things. No, yeah, no, <laughs> totally fun adventure, <laughs> exciting family challenge. Like this is going to be so awesome. And, um, and so, so midway through this year, so we start off we're we're doing this challenge and it kind of made me start to evaluate just all the different aspects of my life. Not only like my consumer habits, but also like what kind of space do I actually need? Um, you know, what, how am I using my time? It just like dialed up my intentional mindset. And so when my husband got an offer, uh, kind of an unexpected, like we, you, you fit the bill and we want you to come work for us. And this was working in-house at a company in Virginia, rather than working at a law firm, which is what he had been doing in Texas. It felt like, like the right move. And so it was totally not on our radar. And I, um, you know, we, we thought we, Texas was like going to be the plan for a long time, but it felt like it was the right choice. And so when we decided, okay, we're going to move to Virginia this summer. Uh, I also had a little flicker of like, well, if we're going to move anyway, we got to make that, this is an opportunity to maybe reevaluate some of our housing choices. And so, uh, we decided to spend the the first year in Richmond living in a small rental so that we could figure out because we weren't familiar with the city. So I didn't know where we wanted to yeah. live, neighborhoods and stuff like that. And how so we far just, into your year challenge or had you already we were, gone through? We were six months in. Oh, okay. And so this is like, we're six months into the challenge. We're going to move across the country. Did and you get rid of everything? Did you put furniture in storage? Because that's yeah. like moving across the country. It's like such, sometimes it's, yeah, it's like, is it worth it to move everything? Or totally. To sell? Like, yeah. So we decided we decided we were going to downsize at least for the first year to kind of see how or the first six. We were like, let's see what it's like. And so we um, we rented a, a thousand square foot home in the city in Richmond. And um, just knowing that I sold a bunch of our furniture that I knew wouldn't fit, like that just wasn't going to make sense. The things that I really loved, but I didn't know if it was going to fit because this was a rental and we were going to buy a house, but I just didn't know what exactly that would yeah. look like. We had a storage unit, like a, a 10 by 20 or something storage unit. Um, and that also kind of functioned as the stuff we'd put in the garage because the rental didn't have a garage. So we put like camping gear and bikes and stuff like that in the storage unit. And then we had this two bedroom, one bathroom, thousand foot rental. And two bedroom, um, two bedroom, one bathroom. So did the kids all share a room? So all three kids in the playroom was all in one room. Yeah. Wow. And it wasn't like a big room, but it was funny because you don't know these things until you try them that like, it was beautiful. Uh, yeah. It was super functional. Like they have a triple bunk bed, which we still have. A triple they loved bunk it. bed? Yeah. It's like a bunk bed with a trundle. Wow. So oh, during okay. the day we could push the trundle under and they would have floor space to play. And then at night we just pull the trundle out and that's where the youngest slept. And it was good. She was only three and a half anyway. So like if she fell off, it was, you know, yeah. six inches to the floor. She didn't fall off, but, um, so it, it was really fun. It was like this cool, uh, and I think it was helpful that we knew it was temporary. We're like, we're just going to do this one year experiment with this rental too, like experiment within the experiment. Not only have we stopped shopping, but we're now going to super downsize our space and just see, 
just this open-minded, like flexible, maybe we'll decide that we do need 3000 square feet at the end of this, you know, rental or maybe not. And what we found was that we actually loved having less space to manage, to clean, to decorate, to, you know, organize. And so when I found that whole time, I mean, maybe the first three months we were just settling in, but then once my kids were back in school and, um, and we loved the area, then the other thing that we did that was kind of different was instead we had lived in the suburbs suburbs of Austin, which I liked and I loved my friends and the school and everything out there. But we decided to move into the city in Richmond and be like walking distance from stuff and um, like so biking fun. distance and be right in, right downtown. And, um, and I loved it. And so I started looking for homes and this, the one that we found popped up uh, on just like a random Zillow search. And it was like the best kind of fixer upper where nothing had been updated. For a fixer upper? You just knew what kind of size and location you wanted. So I was totally looking for a fixer upper. Um, I mean, I, I love design. I love home renovation. It's just part, it's like in my blood, but then I also really love to customize and personalize things. And so even the rentals we had lived in, even the rental here, like soup, it's a rental, but I had painted everything. And like I built a, 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 counter over the washer and dryer in the kitchen because it didn't have one. But it seems so weird to me that there was like just a random washer and dryer in the middle of the kitchen with net. So I built a plywood, like a really beautiful countertop on it so that then we had this extra counter space. And of course, that all stayed in the rental when we when we left. But it just added, you know, and it was like, I don't know, 100 bucks or something and two days worth of work. Totally worth it for me to like invest in the six months that I get to use it and leave it rather than just not doing, I I know a lot of people have the mentality around a rental that like, I'm not going to make any improvements because it's not mine. But I was like, if I get to improve my own lifestyle while I'm here and if that's okay with the landlord, I'll do it. So we was, we were looking for a fixer upper. Um, not only, I mean, I love all of that, but also you can, uh, you can afford a lot more, you know, and, um, and I just love the potential of things. Um, especially like, if someone has just renovated something, I'm always a little annoyed that like they renovate. So I'm different from a lot of people in this way, because a lot of people are like, oh, I'm so glad that they renovated this. So I don't have to do any of that. But I look at it and see, well, I would have made all different choices. Yeah. And so now I'm paying for someone else's design decisions. I'd way yeah. rather start with the blank slate. And a lot of times they like cheap out. They don't yeah. choose like the nicest materials. They're trying to find the cheapest thing. What is that called? Or oh, it's like super when generic. Oh, when they like flip a house. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, you, you, it's, it's like, just they're just like, like trying to like flip it. Make real it fast look and nice. Money, yeah. And then you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So at the time we were looking on this exact block that I'm on in Richmond, this house that was like a fixer upper had not been renovated at all. Like the, um, I mean, it was built in the 40s, so it had been renovated since then, but maybe in like the early 80s, laminate countertops, like um, old cabinets, super weird, funky, like layout, like some odd stuff happening in the layout, carpet, laminate floor, some original wood, but it was all kind of a hodgepodge. There was this house for sale. And then down the block, there was a flip, like a a renovated house for sale that was almost, so it was one and a half times the price. So like you know, over $200,000 more asking price than the house that we ended up buying. Um, and I walked through that one and I was like, I just, I would, I would way rather take the other one and then do all the renovation myself. And how does your husband feel? Like, did he have any, like, it'd be kind (laughs) of nice to just live in a house that everything we can use. Because when you're also moving into a house to renovate it, then it's like, 
room by room. You don't yeah. use that room for a certain amount of months or something. Totally. Right. So yeah, the, the, the couple things that were in, Dave, that's a great question. Dave would, I don't know what his answer directly <laughs> would be to that. Um, he is my dad, my husband is super, um, up for things. And especially because like he knows the, the dynamic of our relationship is that I have a lot of the big ideas and I also am the executor. Yeah. So and it's so, not like, let's redo this house. No. I'm going to need you to be working every weekend and every exactly. night that you're off. That he's like, these are your, you're like, all right, this is what I'm doing and I'm doing them. Totally. And he's totally great with that. He's like, you have the vision, go for it. If you, you know, if you need my help, let me know. But like, otherwise he's happy to just kind of let me, let me do it. And he knows and trusts that I am capable and that I have the, you know, that, that I have the design sense and that I have the ability to, to do these things. So, yeah, I mean, he probably would, both of us would think it was nice to move into a totally finished house as long as it was finished with all the choices that we would like. But, you know, I would move into it. I mean, we, we built our house in Texas. I made all the choices and we moved in and I still wanted to change a few things. So that's just the nature of it sometimes. Um, and the, the lucky thing about here is that we had rented or we had been renting. We had this year long lease and we bought the house at six months. And so we had six months of the rental still that we lived okay. in. So you were while we renovated. Start. Yeah. So we like first weekend that we bought this house, we gutted the kitchen and um, started to take down some of the walls. And so we left it just like it's just this open, empty. And it was fine because we could leave it and go to sleep in the rental house. And then, you know, so the, yeah. the six, the first six months was just full renovation here. Um, but I was going to say th that was like a long tangent to ask, to answer the question about our, <laughs> our house that we live in. <laughs> I was just going to tell you that the reason that we, we moved and in that evaluation process of being in the middle of this year of, of intentional living and, and practical minimalism, um, we, we ended up realizing that we had had more space than we used than we like functionally used. And so there were whole in rooms the house in, Texas. in the house in Texas, there were whole rooms and areas that we were paying for decorating, cleaning that we weren't even using, like not even walking in like every once in a while. Yeah. And the way I kind of did that, uh, I like closed my eyes and could imagine the bird's eye view of the house. And I thought of it kind of as like a heat map and just like mentally walked through like, where are we spending our time like during the day and like all of our little family out there, like we were always in the living room in the kitchen at night, we were in our bedrooms. There was like the pathways of walking from room to room, but like whole sections that just no one ever really needed. Yeah. And so I use that information of like, what are we actually using now at this stage in our life to, to decide that this, so our house now is a, a little under 1500 square feet. It's three bedrooms, two bathrooms, which was nice. So we have two kids in one room, one in, uh, in the other, and that doubles as a guest room. Like when people come in town, um, we bump him to the trundle because we still have the three, the trundle. And then that room becomes a guest room and that's really functional. And then we have a master like bedroom bathroom. So, um, so yeah, fixer upper a little <laughs> bit smaller than our house in Texas. And um, it was really fun to be able to work with companies as we renovated this house. Yeah. Psst. Hey, it's me, Trisha here. Have you guys seen the insulated mugs and tumblers I'm now selling in my shop? Yeah, I got a shop full of products. Shop.yourjoologist.com. Okay, these insulated mugs and tumblers keep your drinks hot or cold for hours and hours. But I'm also obsessed with them. One especially the mug. I put hot or cold drinks in it. The flip top lid that comes on the mug and is also one of the lids with the tumblers. The tumblers come with two. 
they seal so good. I can put them in my purse, have them jumping around. I can be playing with my kids in the playroom on the carpet and don't have to worry about my drink spilling. Uh, much more enjoying my life. The tumbler I'm mostly using for water these days with the straw lid. It comes with a flip top lid and a straw lid. I am drinking so much water effortlessly. They are totally BPA free, double wall stainless steel. I've got all sorts of phrases on them. My mug, I'm drinking out that everything is going my way. I drink out of the affirmation one, my water. I don't know how long I'm going to have these guys. So go scoop them up. They are so worth it. The phrases is laser engraved, so they will never come off. Shop.yourjoyaljust.com. And of course, you know, get the affirmation deck, get a keychain, get a magnet, or get a porcelain or glass mug. It really does help to have these reminders around you because even though I have written them, made the products, use them all the time, sometimes I just happen to glimpse it and I'm like, oh, yeah. Right. Everything is going my way. Oh, right. I am whole. I am complete. I am grateful. I am alive. I am resilient. So, hey, it helps to have these reminders, journals, all the things. Shop.yourdialgist.com. Do you think like it's just the general idea that we are meant to believe we need more and bigger spaces? You know, because I definitely like as soon as I got pregnant, we, oh, let's move to suburb to get a big house so that we have the space. And it is, it's nice to, I think ours, our house is 2,500 square feet, I believe right now. Um, so it's not like giant, but yeah, but same thing that I've been wondering, like, hmm, would I rather move back to more of city proper area and in a smaller space? It seemed like you have to. You have to do that. You got to get space, which I do. I enjoy space. But yeah, I'm like, yeah, I think like we could be, they could, kids could share a room. They probably don't need a playroom. We probably. Yeah. Well, I think that it really goes back to like what matters the most to you because yeah. some people, they really, really do thrive having like lots of rooms, lots of space, like having lots of um, ability to entertain. They love, they yeah. want to have. A, a playroom and a library and a study and a game room and a TV room and like all the different things separate. So everyone can do their own thing and have their yeah. own, you know? And so that's something that some people really value. They absolutely should try to, you know, make that work in their lives. And, um, we just realized that for our particular family, we really like spending time together. We don't mind like, you know, all being in the, in the living room, watching a show together. That's not a big deal. Um, we, my kids, uh, in our house in Texas, they had desks like in their playroom. It was like the kids kind of zone, but they always did their homework at the counter anyway, yeah. because I was in there like making dinner. And so they wanted to like be with me yeah. and have me help them. And I was like, okay, well, they don't need desks. Even now my son, my older son, there's a desk in his room. That's like the guest room desk, or it's like his bedside table. And he never uses it as like an actual desk. Like, and maybe later, like maybe if we're in this house yeah. in a few years when he's in high school or something, but like right now, I love that we all just get to spend our time like together. I feel like we have plenty of space for the things that we need. Uh, we do have a yard, which is important to me. I love yeah. having space for the kids to run outside and we're, we're in the city, but we're not like in a, in an apartment building. Like it, we have our own little space and I love our block. We have great neighbors, which is, uh, uh, you know, sometimes that's hit or miss in the city. It just depends on where you live and what, what that is. We still walk to school though. Like we chose this neighborhood for 
for the lifestyle that we wanted for our family. Yeah. And, um, and that's what we get. And there's trade-offs to that, but it also like, I wouldn't, you know, this is the decision we made because we like the trade-offs. We like saying yes to smaller space so that we have more, you know, money to go travel or, um, you know, that we get to walk to school rather than having the kids have to take uh, a bus or me drive them because it's too far away or whatever. So do you think if he hadn't have gotten the job opportunity and you were still still living in Austin, would you have realized then we need a smaller house? You know, it's you know, so funny. It's like you might not have thought to do that. Yeah, no, I don't know that we would have. We had talked about it a few times because when we first moved to Austin while we were building the house, we we had lived in a smaller house downtown. And I love Austin. And I spent a lot, like even living in the suburb, I drove into the city a lot. Like I would go downtown just for lunch or go down to to the main library because it's so beautiful. Or I'd go down to the river and that's like 13 to 25, 30 minutes from where I lived. And I had friends that were like, wait, you're going to Austin to have lunch? And then like you drive back, like it seemed like this really far commute, you know? And I was like, yeah, it doesn't feel like that big of a deal to me, but it definitely would have been easier if we had chosen to live down there. So I don't know if we would have, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I think we probably would have, we probably would have stayed in our house because we, we had such a great community of friends and family right yeah. there. And we like, we had loved it. Um, and I think it's easy. It's fun to look back and see that the change, sometimes unexpected changes create opportunities that you wouldn't necessarily have. And that's yeah. like one way to see that your life, you know, is leading you, you know, that you, you get to, you get to, make different choices. Like we chose to move from a small house into a big house and build a house and live in the suburbs. And then we decided, I think what, what's interesting is that like you were saying, a lot of times the messaging would have been like, okay, now you move. So find a bigger house, a nicer house in, you know, an even cooler area. And like, like, like in order to progress, we have to always do bigger or better. Yeah. And I think it's an important point to recognize that progression doesn't mean always bigger, better, more progression means aligning your, your actions and your choices with your values. And so this was progress for us deciding and like recognizing we don't need more or bigger. What, what we actually want and need is less and smaller so that that enables us to, um, contribute more of our resources to other values. And that feels like progress. No, I think it's true because like, yeah, it, you it might you might have gotten there, but it might have taken longer to realize that. And that, yeah, like things that come up, I I think it's like that's why I like love that I love change. And um, uh, my partner, we both used to tour with bands, and he still does. He's a guitar tech, so he'll go on tour sometimes here and there. And like that can be hard, and it brings up different things. But it's like I kind of love that there's change that comes into our life because it makes me like I'm constantly reassessing my routines or like, okay, he's gone. Like how, what can I do now to make this everything work for me? Or now he's home and like, you know, and then there's, then I get used to like having everything my way and not right. talking to anybody. And like, <laughs> even though there's more work for me, you know, then, okay. Like, so it's like, I'm constantly put in like this place of, okay, what's working for me and what's not? What can I do that best serves me and my family? And I kind of always loved that, like having things that create change in myself. So I think I've, so I've gotten really used to like good at analyzing when the changes aren't coming too. And I think so many people, it's not like you just, you have a job that's the same and like most things are pretty still and like you don't even notice is this even working for me anymore? Or is this just like a habit? Or I just do this because of what I taught I was taught to do. Do I just get this house because what I was told to do? Do I even like living in a big house? Like, 
What would it mean if I moved back to that town, but in a tiny house? What does that mean about me? You know, because then it could be like, I'm not successful because I live in a two bedroom house. Like, who cares? (laughs) Totally. Totally. No, this is exactly it. Like, I feel like that was part of the question that I that we were kind of setting out to answer when we started our challenge, like the no shopping challenge that then ended up leading to like reevaluation of every aspect of our life. And like, what what do we really want? And just believing that we get to make that choice and that it doesn't have to look the same for everyone. And it, and no one else has to understand, like, this was very confusing for our, for our friends and family. First, the decision to stop buying things. And then second, the decision to move into a tiny house and then to buy a, you know, a tiny bit bigger, but still way smaller, different, you know, my, everyone is my, my family and, and friends, especially that know me personally, were like, this is a li- like, are you sure? Like, are you sure this is what you want? Like, are, are you, you know, there's lots of okay different options. Yeah, like, exactly. And it's so funny <laughs> because you do like something wrong. But. Yeah, and exactly. Exactly. That's what it's, it's so nice to just like say it's OK to to make the choices that uh, that bring the lifestyle that I hope for into my life, you know, like that that's OK. Um, and a lot of times when you do that, you are going against, I mean, the, the thing is, that's so funny. We think that there's this conventional wisdom of like, this is what everyone is supposed to do. Or like, if you're successful, that this is what you're doing. But like, there's very few people that that is the pathway that ends up working out for them. And so what do, are we all, the rest of us are just supposed to walk around and think that our lives are fail, failures because they don't align exactly with this, you know, who created this idea of what yeah. it's supposed, what success looks like. Like, no, success is is yeah. defined personally and and understanding yourself. But I think it it helps to give yourself space to figure out what you want because maybe you do want a big house in in the woods, or maybe you do want to, you know, whatever you're doing, like work at that, you know, eighty hour a week high paying job, but you like love it and you're thriving in it. Like that's yeah. great. Like that yeah. can be good for you. A big big totally. house can be good for you. And it's totally okay to not, it's okay to, to, you know, work for beans, doing something that you love. And it's okay to, you know, live in a smaller house in, in an area that you, that you enjoy. And, and that's okay. Like we get to choose and I think it's fun to. And we get to choose over and over again. Yeah, You're not yep. stuck with any choice that no. you've made. You can move into the small house. And then you could be like, Oh, you know what? Never. We do want more space now. Like, totally. too, like you're never like stuck with any. Cause I think too, then there's the fear of like, Oh, but I said, this is what I wanted. And it turns out it's not or like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's and always, it- everything seems such a reflection of what will other people think of me? <laughs> yeah. Or even like you were saying, like, what, what does this mean about me? Like sometimes yeah. it's, it, it comes really like, it's hard to get out of our own way because we want something, but then we, we don't think that we should want it. Yeah. We, they're you know, even own, if we haven't told anyone, you know, like, yeah, it's our own personal judgments on ourselves yeah. that we make up though, that other people do or will think about us, mm-hmm. but it's like our own judgments are what are always holding us back. And we act totally. as if it's the world doing yeah. it, which they yeah. may be. But only we are the ones that are controlling what we're living into. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's um. I think something that I've learned is that I don't know. I don't really know anything until I try, until I experiment with it. Like I can think I know what the end result is, or I can think I know like oh it, that what that pathway leads to. But unless I'm willing to like really go for it, I mean, I I'm. I'm way more willing and excited about trying and failing at this point in my life than I am about not trying because at the end of the, I know that at the end of the trying, I have information. 
Yeah. Like real information. And if I don't ever try something different, then I don't have any information. And then I just never know. And I know there's lots of cliches around that, but like, that's a real thing. Like it is true that if you do not like take a step that you don't know how it feels and through that feeling, that is where you learn. Um, right now, one of the things that I'm doing this year that I'm super excited about, I'm in the middle of with, uh, with a cohort is a five week no shopping challenge and a guide to practical minimalism. It's an online course. It's five weeks long. And one of the, each week there's lessons and assignments, but one of the underlying uh, challenges for the whole thing is that it's no non-consumable shopping for the whole five weeks. So it's dated, you know, right now we're in the middle of it. This one ends on February 9th. So we're two and a half weeks in. And I knew that when I was creating this course, for how to invite people to undergo some of these personal mindset changes surrounding consumerism and clutter and and um, minimalism in their lives, that I couldn't just teach them about my experience, that they had to have their own experience with what it felt like to try. And um, even after like, you know, a couple of days hopping into the Facebook group and like, okay, how's it been going? You know, I like, I would love to hear what would you have bought if you hadn't been doing this? And this like list of comments goes flying down of like, people hadn't even realized the habits that they were in until they had this challenge to help support them in like pausing for a little bit. And like, even just from a few days in, it was really eye opening. but they, that's where all the change happens. The change happens in the trying something. And yeah. maybe you finish the five week challenge and you realize that you know, you do like to shop a lot and here's the things you really like to buy, but it's better to have that information and know that than to just willy nilly, you know, be guided throughout your life by what other people tell you that you should get, you know? Should. So, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. yeah awesome. nice well, to just I, try. I want to make sure to talk about, you wrote a book. Yeah. Right. Did you self-publish? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was that? Was that something you knew you always wanted to do? Like I wanted to write a book or did you have this like, I need to share about this or like, yeah, what got you to be like, and did you have that was like a goal last year? I'm writing a book. I will publish it. Cause yes. you seem to like be very like, okay, I'm a white, I'm writing, I'm writing. And then I'll say that I'm publishing. I was like, she is fucking doing it. <laughs> she <laughs> yeah. did it. Like, <laughs> I did it. Yeah. So I, I didn't like want, I didn't know that I wanted to write a book until, until I had the experience that lent itself to be a book, you know? So, um, I, as a blogger, I've been writing about my life forever, but during the year, our year long challenge, uh, I was sharing that experience and not only sharing it, but also feeling like my audience kind of woke up to this idea and were really interested and really engaged and like had lots of questions. And it was like kind of in a new way than, you know, not just another like DIY tutorial, but like, here's this real thing that we're, what that we're doing. And, um, and, I didn't from the beginning think, oh, I'm going to write a book about this, but about, I don't know, maybe half or three quarters of the way through, I thought this would probably be a great, a a book would be a great way to share this experience in like a widely distributable format um, versus like a a big like list of blog posts that you can read all these blog posts, you know? And, um, and I like the idea of having a book. I love reading books. I read like, I'm reading at least one book all the time, usually more. Um, I love self-development books and I love uh, nonfiction books. Like I actually probably lean more towards grabbing nonfiction books than fiction, although I love both. And I've I've been a writer forever. Like I mentioned, I journaled as a child and, and all through my life. I've been a blogger for years and years and years. And so writing has always been really natural to me. 
So I decided I wanted to write a book and I went back and forth. Like I, I, I'm very much like, like you said, I decide I want to do it and I do it. Like that's the way that I function. And so I decided I wanted to write a book. I decided to give myself a writing retreat. So I took a couple days. I went to uh, Airbnb and Joshua Tree just in the desert. Loved it so much. I actually told myself I'm going to write a book this weekend. Like I thought, I thought this was going to be it, like start and finish <laughs> in three days, which gives you a little insight into my mindset and also like how naive I was. Um, but that what naivety I, probably worked to your advantage well, a little helped. bit. Yeah, it's helpful. I mean, I got through, I finished that weekend with a very solid outline and with a clear idea of the what, like the, yeah. what I wanted the reader to experience as they, as I shared this story. And so I talked to an, an agent. I talked to a few people. I have lots of friends being in blogging for so long. I have lots of friends who've written books, some who've self-published, some who'd published traditionally. The couple oh, so things that really- always a hundred percent going to self-publish. You did- No. Okay. Yeah. So there were a couple, I explored both options as far as I needed to, to make a good decision. Right. So the, um, the, there's lots of pros and cons and I have a couple podcast episodes that go all into this, like my decision to self-publish, but, but basically the, the reasons, the main reasons I decided to self-publish were control and timeline, um, control over the actual content, like what ended up in the book, what the cover looked like, I, that's dumb, but like, that's something I cared about. I wanted to know, I wanted the, the, I wanted the book to be beautiful. I want it to be a reflection of what, what the experience was for me. And so, um, and then I also, this traditional publishing timeline just baffles me that people turn in a manuscript and like two and a half years later, their book yeah. hits the shelf. And we had just, so this is the beginning of 2018. We had just finished our year. I was talking about it. I was still sharing about it. I was still getting lots of questions about it. And I felt like there was a lot of momentum around it still. And I thought, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in two and a half years. Like I, I would like to, like, I'm excited about this right now. And maybe that shows some of my impatience, you know, which you know, that's, I'm human, but I was like, I think this is really fun and I can just dive in and do this and then, and then share it. And self-publishing allows you to work on your own timeline. So I found a, um, a book designer who was fantastic that I loved working with. And he actually kind of mentored me through the whole process. Um, through him, I was able to hire a content editor and a, and a copy editor. And so I paid for so, so here's the other difference. I didn't get paid initially. Like, yeah. you know, you sign with a publisher, they give you money. Yeah. I paid my own advance and gave it to my editor so and invested, my designer. Which, I invested which in my book. You could have yeah. also been like, I'm going to self-publish. I'll just do it all myself. Yeah, just, no, I wanted it to be like as close to traditional publishing as possible, but with my own, like being my own publisher. So I took yeah. it really seriously and I did. I invested a lot of money in it. Um, I know people, you can self-publish for like very little, and but I spent yeah. thousands and thousands of dollars to get it right, to have the designer do a great job and to have it edited really thoroughly. And so this editor works primarily with publishing houses and she does a little freelance. And so she, um, she was great. And, um, so did you give yourself a hard deadlines? Yeah. Yeah. I gave myself deadlines. So I, I, I decided that I wanted to write the book the beginning of 2018 and I did that whole weekend. And then I kind of sat on it because I was busy working. I was doing my actual, like, renovating the house. We had just closed on the house, doing sponsorships, like doing all of my other, the other aspects of my business. And it kind of just sat. And so then, um, I connected with this book designer. I think I was still deciding too, whether I wanted to like go out on submission with agents or if I wanted to try to pursue self-publishing. And so by the fall, I had decided I would definitely want to self-publish. And so I'm going to start pursuing that. And I didn't have to wait then I could just do it. And so I, um, got connected with this book designer 
And I said, okay, I'm going to have a draft finished by the end of the year in 2018. And he was like, okay, great. I'm going to email you like in January. And of course, it's like the the holidays, the busiest season, like for families and also for blogging, like Q4 is crazy. And so I didn't like write anymore, like nothing. I you had, actually like, have a chapter to make space. Yeah, to do yeah it. exactly. Yeah. So no, I'm like, I'm in that process. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like sending my book proposal out to agents right now. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, it's like, yeah. I'm writing. I'm a writer. I'm doing it. I love it. <laughs> I'm meant to write a book. Oh, I have to like sit down and write. <laughs> you mean I have to sit here and do <laughs> I it? I love writing, but like yeah. it's so hard to just sit down and open that page. <laughs> totally. It really, it's a funny process. And, and especially when you don't have someone else telling you what your deadline is. Like yeah. I, you know, I was like, well, so the beginning of 2019, I said, he emailed me. I said, okay, I'm hard stop. Going to have a first draft completed to you the end of January. And I, decided in order to do that, I can't take any sponsorships until this book is done. Yeah. And so I, um, so I that's told big. My, you're turning money down and you're investing yeah. in your own book, but that's and like I, you really making it real. I'm doing this. Yeah. And it was a big, like that was a big, it was a big financial decision. And I talked to Dave about it for a long time and he was all, he was like, we're good. Like, you know, this is great. We can, um, you know, make do, we'll adjust our budget as necessary. And just like, this is something that you want to do. And Dave's always been amazing as a partner and an encourager and supporter too, because we go in eyes wide open. Like if I end up spending $20,000 to publish this book and no one buys it, then that was not money wasted. Like that was money that we used to do the thing you wanted to do. And that's okay. You know? And so that's like, it's, um, of course, easier to make those kinds of decisions when you have that kind of support behind you. So, so that's what happened. I, I, instead of, I mean, my kids were in school, all of them. And so instead of spending all of my days, like doing emails and, and setting up like, um, photo shoots and writing blog posts, I was writing my book day after day after day. I wrote the book. I, um, sent it out to a bunch of readers like mid January. It wasn't finished yet, but I had about five people that I asked to read it ahead of time to give me feedback. Some really trusted, um, both authors and like people that I thought would be great, be great readers, you know, um, got some good feedback to incorporate. I did another writing retreat. Those are really important for me, really like, um, having uninterrupted, solid, deep work time where I was not at home. I wasn't with my kids. I, you know, like, and that's hard to come by. And so I did another writing retreat the end of January. I spent three days at a hotel, um, with another writer friend. And so we like would chat and then we just spend hours just like solid working. And then we could come back together to go to a meal. And then we just spent hours headphones in working. And I finished my draft sitting in the lobby the day that I checked out, like sitting by the fire, like, okay, this is it. Like that was the epilogue. Um, and then I sent it. So then the next like five months were editing, um, you know, going back and forth with the editor, going through the design process with the designer. And then also figuring out the arm of marketing, like getting a launch team in place, um, figuring out how what distribution I was going to use. Um, I decided I wanted it to be a hardback book rather than a, a paperback. This is an arbitrary decision <laughs> that probably has cost me a lot of money, but it felt really important to me to have it be a hardcover book for whatever reason. So it's a hardback with a dust jacket. I loved it, um, that decision. And so... Um, none of the like print on demand services offer that. So you oh. can't do like a hard cover unless you're buying it from an offset printer. And so I, so I, I bought all of the books that I had printed wow. in advance and paid for them all. And, um, 
and then sent uh, started opened up pre-orders from Amazon and and had you know as the pre-orders came in books were being sent from the printer to Amazon to fulfill orders for like for the pre-order and then the rest of them I sent to a like a shipping warehouse in Salt Lake which is where they're being distributed from there and wow and then it you launched like really in July on publishing <laughs> I know. And kind of like a bizarre, I don't know. I mean, I still like, you, you, that's the only experience that I have. So. But actually, I mean, to me that just show, yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause you could just, you know, I think you could like write something right now and submit it as a PDF to Amazon. Like there's ways to make it like very super easy, easy yeah. but like that also you were looking for that experience of what it is when someone goes and buys a book at a bookstore, but that you were making it your own. And so like you yeah. weren't going to go the publishing route, but like you were still like, it is the same. But yeah. I put all of my love and energy in all of this is all my choices right here. <laughs> totally. Well, and the other benefit on the like that wasn't necessarily one of the outcomes, but that ends up being an outcome is that instead of receiving royalties, I now because I'm was the full publisher, I receive full. all of the revenue from the book, yeah. you know, every single dime that it wasn't paid for for printing or shipping gets deposited yeah. straight back to me forever which, and ever forever. Yeah. Which, um, which is, you know, is yet to be seen, I guess, like at some point, I think that I'm close to paying off my or, original investment in like completely. That's awesome. And for a, a traditional author, that's a, this, that they go through the same phase. It's called earning out where you yeah. receive your advance and then you don't get another dime until the amount of books you've sold have paid for what the publisher paid you. And for a lot of authors, they never earn out. Yeah, and so I they know, never yeah. see royalties. Um, and it's been really fun to see that, like, I mean, I, I get I get deposits every month from books being sold both through Amazon, through a couple local bookstores, and then also there for sale on my own website. And um, and it's never like a people say this and it's true, like it, at least for me. And unless you're like a, you know, top tier author, you're never writing a book because you want to become a millionaire because that's just not where the yeah. money is. Um, but it felt like a great stepping stone into the the like really solidifying and positioning myself as the expert in the, um, this field of intentional living that matters so much to me. And that is where like all of my messaging is going, um, being able to speak to my experience, like having a book that shares about my experiment allows me to then keynote speak as someone who it's called, you know, my keynote talk is called the more than enough experiment. And I can share not only the experience that my family went through, but also like this, um, the, 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 how someone makes those changes in their life and kind and of so, create. Yeah, what what is your hope for readers to get from the book? It's, the book is called More Than Enough, right? The book is called More Than Enough. Uh-huh. Um and it's so my hope is that the reader, as they read, are able to reflect on their own life, the things that they love and the things that they don't love, and decide, like have the confidence through that my sharing of my experience that they can choose to really support and encourage and cling to the things that they love and to consciously disregard the rest. That's my personal definition of practical minimalism is to decide what you love and consciously disregard the rest. And just know that not every message is for you. And it's okay to say no to things that don't fit, even if other people think that they're the coolest. And it's okay to spend your time and and energy and resources on things that really light you up, even if you seem to be in the minority. Um, yeah because you're the only one who gets to live your life. Yeah. And I feel like the consumer society is all just selling to a version of you're not enough. 
Yeah. You have this. You have buy. You need new, whatever. Have this. Whether it's a nutritional supplement, workout gear, get your nails done, new hair care. It's with the like, but if you do this, if you have this, if you use this, it'll make you more enough that we are often buying into. If I buy this, have this, do this, be this, then I will be enough. Yeah. And that's the whole like me, with me, the podcast being called Claim It is that, yeah, your feelings of enoughness aren't out there once I have all of this and live in the best house and, and have gotten that version of success. I might likely still won't feel enough. I'll no. just constantly be seeking it. And yeah. So we have to find that, yeah, I'm more than enough right, right now, now as I am with what I have. And I don't even need all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. No, it, it is so true. I found like when we actually t- step back and look at our lives and our feelings that we spend so much time chasing more and not enough time sitting in abundance, like recognizing yeah. what we have. And the truth is that it's like we think when we get to that next, when we, you know, buy that those shoes or when we get the next iPhone or when we buy the bigger house, like we're waiting to experience the fulfillment and joy of our lives until that next step happens. But we get there and immediately what happens? We look forward to the next step. More, next, more, more, bigger. more. Yeah. Everything. And even I wrote the book. Like I made my dream come true. I got my TV show. Now like what? I interviewed someone like, like, you did it. You got what you wanted. You got your own TV show. Is that really great? No, <laughs> no, because no, what we, we are just programmed for more. Yeah. I have to do a better season. I have to do the next. I need a special one. And I think that progress is great and it's important and it's like, yeah. you know, we are predisposed to that. And I believe that we can feel fulfilled and joyful every single day as we're walking the road to the next step. Yeah. And so, and that's just a mindset shift. Like it doesn't mean that we have to want less necessarily. It means that we have to understand that where we are is exactly right for right now and that we have everything we need in order to take the next step and to believe in that as we're as we're making progress that like progress is compatible with contentment. Yeah. Those things can be the same. Yeah. I've been, what helps me because when I'm often in that, like, cause yeah, I want more. I want, you yeah. know, like, yeah, I'm trying to sell my book right now. I want to be an author. And so like what keeps me in that check of like, is this a version of me telling myself I'm not enough or that will make me enough? Or is this like something I actually like, so it's asking myself, well, why? Yeah. Like, why do I want this? Is it because then I'll be like, I, yeah, I wrote a book. I have a book deal or no, it's because like, I really believe that the, this, what I want to share in that book is going to change people's lives. So that that's what's doing it. And not like often again, we're so often buying into, I'm not enough. And if I do this then I'm proving to other people or myself that I'm enough. So like, wait, why am I doing this? Like, it's so funny. I bring this up too. Like I often, I'm about to look at my nails because I'm starting to do more events and like speaking gigs. And before anything, I start to be like, I have to get my nails done. I have to do this. I have to do that. Like, cause then like, and I'll catch myself again, cause I don't realize it shows up more of a should. Mm-hmm. Like, although I would love to have my nails done all the time. I just don't love sitting there. I don't love spending the money. Like, you know, like if, if it was like, let me dip my nails and they're beautiful. Awesome. I think it's great to have amazing nails. So I'm not like telling anybody that gets their nails done that you're evil. But my version of it is often that I'm buying into some version of I'm not enough. And if I have my nails done, then I will feel enough and I'll be like worthy of sitting on the stage and being heard. Right. And I'll have to be like, that's bullshit. I'm enough right now. Whether my nails totally. look like crap. <laughs> like, that's totally. like something I have to tell myself like every day. And it's like, again, it's awesome if you want to get your nails done. But m- me, it's usually what's driving me to get my nails done is it because like I'm going to like I love having my nails done or is it because 
you think that then other it'll people, make me feel better yeah. about myself and other yeah. people will be like, she has her nails done, so she must be cool and have awesome things <laughs> to say. She must have it all together. You know, that's so funny. Yeah, that's a funny example because I, <laughs> I am, I totally love getting my nails done. Actually, I just peeled off the last of my gel yesterday and I'm like, I need to go get my nails done right now. But the reason it's funny, just the way that we think about these things so differently, because re- I love sitting there because it's one of the very few times that my hands are occupied and I cannot touch anything. And I'm like, I feel like getting my nails done is a meditation. It's yeah. like I get to just sit there and like be with myself in stillness and just be present. And like often I use it to just like think through, you know, things that are going on, either big problems or also like some gratitude or, you know, yeah. like it's just like this moment you know, every few weeks that I just, I can't be on my phone. I can't be doing emails. I can't be working. I can't like, no one's going to, you know, no one can interrupt me. And it, it is kind of like this, like a mindful practice. That's awesome. Yeah. So funny. Funny. That's what I'm like, I love, I do love having like yeah. gel manicures with designs and I sometimes will, but yeah, it's just like me again, like, but you don't have to get priority. one because yeah. And also like my priority, it's like, yeah, I would love to, but also I don't love sitting there. I don't really actually want to spend my money there right now. What do I yeah. actually want to be doing? Oh, I would rather be exercising or stretching or laying in bed reading. Like that's what would fill me up for you. Totally. Like, you love sitting there. Like that, I don't. You know, yeah. It's like, yeah. I love getting my nails done, but I'm always like, well, why? Yeah. Why am I doing this? Yeah. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's a nice thing, especially like where you are in the process of writing your book. It was, it was helpful for me to keep myself in check by thinking, if this is where it ended, like if it, if it ended right now, would I be satisfied with that? You know, like, could I believe that where I am is okay? Like after yeah. I finished the first draft, I, um, when I sent that draft, it was the beginning of February and my husband and I had just gone to Germany. He had to work there and I, it was my birthday weekend. And I'm like, well, if you're going to Germany on my birthday, then I'm coming with you. So I invited myself on his work trip and I, I we was finishing up this manuscript on the flight over. And then the morning after we got there, I sent it. And I just remember this feeling of like, if, if nothing, you know, like if we died on the flight home, it's done. Like my yeah. book is done. And it like, you know, like it's okay that it hasn't been published yet. And then after it is published, like it's okay if no one buys it. And then after people are buying it, like it's okay if it's not a, like it won't ever be a New York times bestseller because it's self-published and that doesn't even happen. But just like, like knowing that more can be wonderful and right where I am is also exactly where I am. And that can be wonderful too, if I choose it, you know? So It's a fine balance, but it is, it's, yeah, it's, it's feels better and it's definitely more creative and, um, and more, more, uh, efficient to want from a place of enough than to want from a place of lack. Because when you're pursuing things out of scarcity and fear, you're close-minded. You will often be sloppy because you're trying to hurry the process or, you know, you really don't trust or believe in, in what's happening. And when you're able to recognize that where you are is okay and you do have everything that you need you are able to think outside the box to make decisions from a place of um, trust and faith and and confidence and creativity. And uh, that's a really, like, it's just the whole process. You can take the same exact steps, but the process will feel so different and the outcomes will be so much better if you do it from a place of of satisfaction and fulfillment. Yeah, no, I love that. And even I got, um, I was sending out query letters to agents that I don't, you know, like have a connection to. Yeah. And I got a, a a no last week and I was so excited. So <laughs> like, I was like, I'm so excited. Like you read my query letter and you wrote back and wished me best of luck. Thank you. 
<laughs> totally. <laughs> like, oh, wait, it. they said no to me. Am I supposed to be? I was like, no, I didn't even want that agent anyway. Like, that totally. It's good that you're, de- well, it's just doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's so good to know that that's part of the process. Like I'm going to get a bunch of no's. Yeah. It's so funny. I, I love it. I myself. I was like, thank you so much for writing me back and wishing me. <laughs> it's so great. But what a great perspective rather than having that no mean that like, yeah, you know, your query like wasn't any down, good I'm or done, yeah. quit. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. And that's what, and even when you were, you touched on ear, earlier, like the feeling and like, that's one thing that helps me. What I, I can stop myself from, oh, I don't know, you know, I don't know if I have enough to say, or I want to ask this person that, but they might say no or something like that. For me, like the doing of something is like, is where it feels amazing. Like I can even be like nervous before some of like the people I'm talking to, oh my God, I don't know what's going to go. Are they going to like me? What am I even, whatever. And then like, and just like showing up. And then when I'm in it, it's like the feeling of, oh yeah. And that's why I do this. I feel great when I do this. Like right. even like getting up in the morning, I try to do yoga before my kids wake up. And they wake up too early. I always, <laughs> always stay do. in bed. It's like, what, how will I feel when yeah. I do this? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. So remembering the feeling. It feels good to do those things and get out of your own way. Totally. Okay. Let's get to, I'm like, oh, um, um, what is a go-to to raise your joy levels? Maybe, for instance, if you are like scheduled to do something and you don't feel like it or, you know, just something to shift your attitude. Okay. I I have a couple things. Um, one is definitely getting outside. I love being outside. And so like going on a walk or a run or a hike, sometimes that's just like taking my dog for a walk, but just like being outside is an instant. I feel like when I'm outside, it connects me to myself. I'm able to like feel and move my body like that always will shift my mindset a little bit. Um, I also love to, to sing and dance. Like turn on just some fun music in the kitchen by myself even and just like a favorite song that I can sing along to and just like shake it out a little bit like that always boosts my mood um those are kind of my two go-tos I think the other other thing is to just actually let myself take a break because sometimes I feel like when I'm feeling that low energy it's like actually because either like hormonally I'm tired or like I've had a lot going on emotionally or you know and so allowing myself to just sit on the couch and read a book or, um, or take a nap. Like those things usually help me not only because the actual act of resting is helpful, but also because then I feel like it puts me at peace with myself to know that I get to choose the things that I do. And so saying I'm tired, I'm going to take a nap helps me then align myself with like, Oh yeah, I'm, I get to choose. And so this next thing that I don't really feel like doing, like I can choose that too, if I want, you know? Yeah. Love that. Okay. I, um, ask everybody, I had this aha moment last year and now every time I repeat it, I'm like, of course, but it's still like fun to hear how it applies to everybody else is what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. And so I ask everybody to apply that to their own life. What is easiest for me is to do this. What is best for me is to. Oh, that's good. Um, (laughs) Gosh. Well, what it I mean, I'm just going to tell you what comes to mind first. What is easiest for me is to do nothing. (laughs) what is easiest for me is to just do nothing um what's what's best for me is to thoughtfully choose what i what will actually like light me up and bring joy into my life and then actively pursue those things even if it it sometimes is hard yep yep okay this next one which remind which phrase do you feel like you want as a reminder the most right now i think 
the one that resonates most for me right now is the idea that everything is going my way. Yeah. Of course, I love I am enough, but I feel like that I've like got right. down, like it's like pretty right. solidly drilled into my head. Um, but th- I love the thought that everything is going my way, especially when on days when things don't seem to be yeah. going my way. And then I, I because I really do believe that the universe has my back and that like everything is like the, what happens is what's supposed to happen. Um not that everything happens for a reason, because that's a totally different thing, but just yeah. that, like what is unfolding in my life is for my benefit. And, uh, and I think that when I, yeah, when, when everything, when I truly believe everything's going my way, then, um, I'm able to have access to so much more joy and fulfillment than when I think something went wrong. And I, then I have to be like frustrated about that. Yep. That's been my mantra for a year straight. I have that keychain and I put it on a mug too. And that's what like, yeah, it's like when I get the no from the agent, it's like, cool, everything's going my way. Cause like you weren't the agent. I actually wanted anyway. Or like, this is all working out. I might mean I have to do more edits and I have to make things, but everything is somehow going my yes. way. Just yep. can't see it right exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's a good one. It's a fun. It's a fun belief to have. It really <laughs> is. I mean, it's just a freeing belief. Like I, yeah. I, I love to just feel like I, yeah, put myself, I feel like that's maybe the underlying message of my whole life is that like, I get to choose like being in being in a place of freedom is yeah. um, is really powerful. All right. The last question is the name of the podcast is claim it, which I talked about briefly before. It's like, yeah, with the idea of it's not once I get this, do this, be this, then I will feel that. But I feel like we have to claim our joy every day, our worth, our value, our enoughness, our success. And so what are you claiming for yourself right now? Oh, I am, uh, I'm claiming that I'm on the right path, that my, uh, that the work that I'm putting in today, uh, not only benefits me today, but that it also is the foundation for the, the work that I am pursuing in like kind of for the long run. So sometimes feel things feel really slow. And I like, like we talked about with my book publishing process, like I tend to be like, I'm going to do this. And then I just like want to do it and I want it to be done and like get it done as fast as, you know, as, as possible efficiency. And, and I feel like I'm claiming the ability to slow down and let things fall in the, in the timeline that they belong and knowing that that, that that is just as right as everything being as fast as possible. (laughs) Awesome. I love that. I think that's a reminder we all. <laughs> we could all use it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so, so, so this much. This was so fun, Trisha. I appreciate it. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And Miranda, you can find her at Live Free Miranda. Uh, full links to everything. And full show notes are at yourdwellgist.com slash podcast. Please let us know what you think. Reach out, send DMs, share the podcast, tag us. We love to hear from you. And I'm wondering if she made you think about the size of the house or that you think you want or that are you are currently living in. Because I've definitely been reflecting on that since our conversation of, do I like having space? I think it would be nice to have less space and have less things to worry about cleaning and uh, like stuff to put away with two toddlers and there's stuff all over the house. <laughs> if I got a smaller house, then there'd be less picking up, I think. Well, maybe the same amount, but in a smaller space. Anyway, so I just thought that conversation was interesting too and like how much um, 
Is it just driven by society and like what it means to have a bigger house? Maybe we would be happier in a smaller house. I don't know. On one hand, I like space. On one hand, I think less space would be nice. So just interesting to reflect in the whole idea of minimalism. My wardrobe is definitely minimal from when I was in my 20s and thought I needed a new pair of shoes for every single day. Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed that conversation. Make sure to get her book. Link will be in the show notes. She also has a podcast called More Than Enough. Um, yeah, go check her out and make sure to leave a podcast review if you haven't yet, especially an op- Apple podcast is where it really helps. Leave a review, take a screenshot before you hit submit. Otherwise, you'll have to come back to find it because it takes a day or two to go there. Email it to me at podcast at yourdualogist.com and I'll send you a little gift because uh, I love hearing from you. I love knowing you're listening and why you're listening. And uh, honestly, the reviews help the show get more listeners. (laughs) We want that because we want more people out in the world claiming it for themselves. All right. So to finish off the episode, Think about, is there a place in your life where you're thinking that more is better, whether it's more space, um, more money, more this? We all are often wanting more, of course, and that's not bad, but is there somewhere where you're like, yeah, maybe I don't need all this stuff. Maybe I don't need all this space. Why am I even after it? So reflect on that. DM me. Tell us what you think. All right. Own your awesome.